Thank you, Pastor Ron. And uh, Merry Christmas. Maligang Pasco. It's the Christmas season. Christmas tide is upon us. And uh, I'm blessed and grateful to get to share this season with you. Uh, those that were present on the platform, or excuse me, on the patio this morning, uh, we experienced a powerful visitation of the Lord, I think it's safe to say. And uh, there was a wonderful sense of fellowship, even in our small number. And uh, I share in that same sense now, even with you online, even with those of you that may be watching this as a recording at some future point. And, uh, and yet, by the power of the Spirit, we are aligned together. And so whether, it's, uh, whether you're watching this presently or at some future date and Christmas season is not uh, uh, upon you or around you, nevertheless, may the Christ of Christmas be in your heart this morning. And for those of us who are in this very moment live streaming and uh, we stand in the middle of the Christmas celebration that has just passed and the anticipation of the new year that is yet to come, uh, we are on the cusp of a new beginning. And so today's message is really about preparing for and entering into a new beginning, a new purpose, which the Lord has for us in this season. You know that it is our practice to seek the Lord for a particular focus as we enter into every new year. And that's something that I am constantly uh, praying about because it's not just uh, when we arrive at the doorstep of a new beginning that, that we begin uh, knocking on that. But I'm knocking on the door of the Lord and uh, seeking to listen to the voice of the Lord throughout the years, throughout time, to always be attentive to what it is that he wants to lead us into next because there is always a progressive purpose of the Lord in this regard. And so it is that uh, uh, I am also aware that we're about to have a, something of an anniversary. Uh, one week from today is uh, January 3rd, January 3rd, 2021. And that is exactly five years to the day from my first Sunday as lead pastor of PCF. It was on precisely that day, Sunday, January 3rd, 2016, that I first entered into this pulpit as the lead pastor of this church. Two weeks from today is January 10th, and that will be the five-year anniversary of my installation ceremony. It was on January 10th, 2016, that I was installed as senior pastor at Praise Christian Fellowship. Why do I mention that? Well, first of all, because I want to say thank you. Salamat po. Maramik salamat po. To all of you, PCF, who um, not only... Um, welcomed uh, Hazel and I and our family with uh, such love from the very beginning of the time that I started ministering here at all as an instructor at PCF, which was uh, a decade ago now. Uh, excuse me, PSOM, obviously the teaching ministry of PCF. We've always been warmly welcomed here. We've always felt like family here, and we've always looked to you as family. Uh, but the extraordinary privilege of, of being invited to enter into the senior leadership here uh, was a great blessing and continues to be. And I just want to say, uh, on the eve of my five-year anniversary, how grateful I am to be joined with you as the family of God in this particular local congregation. And I also want to say how excited I am for the time that lays ahead of us. None of us ever knows how much time that we have. None of us ever knows exactly what the Lord will do next in our days 
But what I do know is that I sense in the Lord great purpose for the season ahead. Now, I also mention about the five-year anniversary for something far beyond just me, because I don't really want me to be the focus of uh, my remarks today or of our attention today. But I was not particularly aware of the fact when I began here that in the scriptures and apparently in ancient Israel, the notion was that it took five years to produce an initial harvest from a new plot of land. Now, I know that PCF did not begin with me, and uh, we continue to be eternally grateful to God for the work that he began here and to his faithful servant and faithful father of the faith and great leader, Pastor Joe Danganan and Sister Beth, for the incredible uh, seeds that they sowed and planted and tended and grew in great fruitfulness here, year after year, decade upon decade. But the fact that there was a transition and that something new began in 2016 is uh, verified, in a sense, confirmed by the fact that the Lord, when I uh, began my, my uh, senior leadership here, spoke to me, as I've shared with you, about five years of meaning where each of those years had a particular focus from the Lord for us. And as I say, at that time, I was simply seeking the Lord for what do you want to do? What do you want me to do? How do you want us as a people to live into the time that is ahead and the season that you have for us? But what I found as the Lord laid out those five years of meaning for me in my time of prayer and seeking him was that each year was part of a progressive planting and harvesting. The year of light, is what we began with in 2016 during my tenure. And that moved into the year of seed faith, the seed that is planted in the light of day and grown by the light of that shining sun that God has made, is watered by the living water of who God is, of his spirit, watered by the washing of the water of his word. And so 2018 was the year of living water, which brings forth light, seed, water, Fruit, fruitfulness followed in 2019. And of course, when the fruit is fully grown, it is harvested. 2020 has been a year of harvest. I go over these things not just to sort of rehash uh, our, our particular themes from the past years, but to say there is a purpose in all of that. And I wonder if you would pause for a moment and consider with me, for as many of you as has been part of PCF over that duration of time, and maybe even for those of you who haven't, if you're a guest today, this message is reaching you with a purpose. Perhaps you could look back over the last five years of your life, wherever you've been, wherever you are now, and recognize that God has been growing something. He's been sowing things into you, around you, growing things in you or around you. Even if you haven't been walking with the Lord during that time, maybe today as this message reaches you, you have not yet determined to walk with the Lord. But for this time at least, you're giving us a listening ear. Let me say to you, friend, even if you haven't been walking with the Lord, the Lord is walking with you. What do I mean by that? Because I want to be careful to say, I am not trying to preach to you this message that Jesus is your bosom buddy friend who just walks by your side following wherever you lead and just sprinkling fairy dust blessings over you as you pursue your purposes. That is not who Jesus is. That's not what the Father God in heaven wants. And frankly, that's not what you and I would want either. You might think you want that. Any of us might think that sounds good to me. Just have God 
at my side, saying yes and amen to whatever I want, giving me all my blessings and gifts and keeping me from anything bad and looking the other way when I determine that I'd rather do something my way than his, that's not who God is and we shouldn't want him to be. Because anyone who tries to live that way and co-opt God into it, God is not mocked. When you live that way, you're sowing a different seed. And whatever seed you sow, that's the seed that you'll reap. You cannot force God to follow your purposes. But you do not have to force God to love you. Because God already loves you. And that's why I say he's walking with you. He's reaching out to you. Why do you suppose that we just celebrated this past Friday Christmas? Because God came to us to walk with us, to speak to us, to pray for us, to die for us, to rise again for us. Because his resurrection is where ours is found. To rule and reign for us, over us, through us, and to draw us into himself so that we could walk with him. He came to us so that we could be with him. The purpose of God is to produce fruitfulness in our lives and in our world. The fruitfulness of his will, of his purpose. So we are turning a corner in this season. This week we will celebrate, God willing, the conclusion of 2020 and the initiation of 2021. And PCF, I want to declare to you that 2021 is the year of purpose. Will you turn to somebody around you or if it's just you and the Lord, just say to the Lord that 2021 is the year of purpose. Say that. 2021 is the year of purpose. Now, I've said it before and I'll say it again. You'll hear it again from me, no doubt. Whenever we choose to respond to the Lord's declaration of a theme over the year, it means that God has a particular purpose for that focus in our lives, in our congregation, in our world for this season. But almost invariably, every single time that the Lord puts a particular theme on a given year, as the Lord might put a particular focus on a given day, it also has a durable, lasting quality. In other words, well, Hebrews 13.8 says it best. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If his purpose was to bring light into our lives and to make us a light in the world before, that light remains. If he purposed to plant the seed of his word in us, he continues to plant the seed of his word in us. And you and I can continue to hide the seed of his word in our hearts that we might not sin against him. And to pray that the thoughts of our hearts and the meditation of our mind would be pleasing in his sight. The living water that Jesus promised is an everlasting fountain that flows through us. The fruitfulness that Jesus promises to his followers who abide in him and in whom he abides, as he describes in John 15, is an ongoing fruitfulness. And that means there is season after season of harvest that you and I can experience in the Lord. So likewise, purpose is always pivotal to our understanding of who God is and what he's up to, what he's doing in our lives. 
But it seems to me that God calling this out as a particular focus for you and I in this season is saying that right now it is especially pertinent, vital, necessary that we would be focused on God's purpose and not necessarily on our own. Or better to say, that being focused on God's purpose calls us to and enables us to make his purpose ours. That's what this season is about. And I believe that the next five years here at PCF, God willing, if God gives me the time and grants me the privilege and Jesus doesn't return, and I don't know that, that any of those might not be changed. God can do what he wants. But so long as I am here under his uh, anointing for these next five years, they will be years of purpose for you and I. In fact, even if the Lord leads you on, because that happens. The Lord has transitions that he makes in our lives. There are times when he calls us to, uh, to move into a new situation, to align in a, uh, a new community context. And even if that's the case, I believe that if you're hearing this message today, if you're part of PCF right now, it's an indicator to you that God has a special purpose in the immediate season of years ahead of us. And each of these will be an opportunity for you and I to go further in his purpose and for his purpose to go further in us. We are setting out on a road and it is a road of light. It is a road of life. It is a road of fruitfulness. It is a row of harvest. And it is for this very purpose that God has prepared us for this season. So today I'm beginning a sermon series with that title, For This Very Purpose. And in that series, we will be looking at the concept of purpose from a biblical perspective, but also with a very practical and personalized point of application, or that is to say points of application, because there's a variety of things that God will be calling us to about his purpose. That's one reason why I'm particularly glad that even though it is something that we regularly do annually along with the International Church of the Foursquare Gospel, that this year as we begin January with a fast, we can fast on purpose. I like that phrase, on purpose, because it plays in a couple of directions. One is to say that this sermon series is focused on purpose and our fasting will be focused on purpose in the sense of intentionally, strategically. It's not just something we're doing as a tradition. It's not just something we're doing because the particular familial denomination that we happen to be aligned with is doing it. It's not just something we're doing. I don't want it to be something that you do just because your pastor says do it. Although if your pastor says do it, it is worth recognizing that if the Lord puts a pastor over you to steward and shepherd and serve you, and the Lord speaks through that pastor, then whatever the Lord is speaking through that pastor must have a purpose for you. But I don't want you to do it out of some compunction, some perfunctory sense of performing what's obligated, but rather that together, collectively, we would recognize God has a purpose for us, and we are going to intentionally choose to seek it, to open to understanding it. Well, why wouldn't anyone do that? In part, because following the purposes of God does not always make life easier. Oh, did he just say that? <laughs> 
Aren't you thinking, my life's hard enough. Is the world not hard enough right now? Are there not enough problems in the world? You mean to tell me that, that following God could create more problems? Wait, put the brakes on this. I thought the whole idea was do what God says and get the reward of a good life. I thought the whole idea was obey God and be blessed. Well, that's not wrong. But, do you remember a week ago when I brought a message on the marking the message of myrrh? Sometimes the blessing is bitter. Sometimes the best thing for you and I is to go through the worst thing, but to go through it with God. And in John chapter 12, Jesus himself speaks about a moment like that in his life, which is not just an example. It is the example. It is the pivotal crisis of all creation when the creator, who has already humbled himself by becoming a human, also then humbles himself to the point of death. After all, of all the problems that you and I face, is any problem greater than death? Isn't death the ultimate problem? And every aspect of problems that we experience in our world is just some kind of derivative of death. Disease is a problem because it decimates and it limits and it can lead to death. Depression is a kind of death. It's a death process. Debt. Destruction, division, deceit, darkness. They all are rooted in the disease of death that is itself the fruit of the seed of sin. Now God's purpose was never for you and I to sin, nor was it for you and I to die. But inasmuch as God's purpose allows for our freedom, a big topic. I can't get into all of that today. If you want to know more about that, sign up for PSOM in January. We are going to talk about what theologians call theodicy. It's the problem of pain and problems. It is the problem of evil. Why does a good God allow evil in our world? Well, there are answers to that. The answers do involve a bit of wrestling on our part with some deeper issues. Suffice it to say, that'll be one of our talk, topics in PSOM in our Fundamentals of Faith 3 class. I hope you'll join me to learn more about that and what the scriptures have to say. But a big part of the answer is in recognizing that God has a purpose that cannot be broken by death. He has a light that cannot be extinguished in the darkness. And if God allows problems and issues in our lives, he has a purpose through them something that can be achieved in ways that you and I might not choose, but which, if we walk with God and yield to his, his, his purpose, we may find profound blessing. We will find profound victory. As I mentioned, Jesus talks about this in John chapter 12, and we're going to look at it today in the message that I've entitled, The Hour Has Arrived. It feels meaningful to me because I've known for years that this would be the year of purpose and that this would be the series that we are in. 
And just like a holiday that you anticipate, like Christmas when it finally arrives, or a new year, you say the hour has arrived. Here we are standing on the cusp of the 20s, a new fresh decade. Here we are standing at the dawn of a challenging time. Already plenty of problems piled up around us. And the phrase, the hour has arrived, seems particularly timely to me. It's reflective of Jesus' statement in John chapter 12 that his time has come, the time to fulfill a particular purpose of God. As I mentioned, Jesus is dealing with something that troubles his soul, a problem, if you will. And we begin this series talking about God's purpose in our problems for a reason. I, I think the Lord put that on my heart because his word reflects that God cares about our problems. God actually is concerned with whatever concerns you. Sometimes people will say, I can't imagine that, you know, if there is a God and this God is so great and mighty, that he would care, you know, about my tax bill or if I've got an ingrown toenail. You know, you could laugh about an ingrown toenail, but if you've ever had one, my understanding is that's quite painful. And there's all kinds of issues that you and I might have. A, a parking ticket can ruin your day. Um, a, a, a car accident can ruin your life. And there's a huge difference between the size of those kinds of problems. But sometimes we might assume that God only cares about problems that are on the larger side of the spectrum. Let me, let me pose a question to you. Why would God care about any of them at all? You say, well, I can see why God wouldn't care about an ingrown toenail, but how could he not care about uh, a, someone paralyzed in an automobile accident? How could God not care about the death of someone near and dear to me? But if God cares at all, it's by choice. It's on purpose, right? It's intentional and strategic. The other way that phrase on purpose can be understood is the theme or focus is purpose. And actually, that's part of God's interest in our problems too. That God has a purpose for whatever he allows in our life. Some of our problems are of our own making. I mentioned that passage out of Galatians 6 that says whatever you sow is what you're going to reap. Jesus included in his teaching many uh, comments on the reality that if you are living in opposition to God's will, if I adopt that kind of an attitude and I go about sinning, I am going to experience problems and turmoil, darkness, and bondage because of my sin. It's not God's fault that that's coming my way. It's my fault for sinning in that fashion. Why then does God allow those kinds of problems? First of all, because God honors the creation that he has made. God is a God of his word. He has said, choose life that you can live. Choose blessing that you'll be blessed. But if you choose cursing, you'll be cursed. And if you choose pathways of sin and death, you will receive sin and death. But don't make those choices. Nevertheless, God respects our right to live free. But he does not deny the truth of the consequences of our actions. Perhaps God allows some of the troubles that you and I experience so that those troubles would drive us to him. Are there things in your life that you want God to erase but you don't take them fully to him because you know that what he will say is the problem is reflective 
of your attitude, of your actions. And so we don't want to deal with that. So as much as we dislike the problem, we hate the medicine more. People don't go to the doctor because they're afraid that the doctor is going to tell them, stop eating or stop eating that bad food or stop smoking or you need to exercise more. And they think, I don't want to stop eating that bad food. I don't want to. I don't think I can quit smoking. And I don't really think I can exercise more. So just don't go to the doctor. But will that make the patient well? Not hardly. The doctor is the one who's got a remedy. God's prescription for you is on purpose. It's intentional and it's focused on his purpose in your life. You know what we discover when we begin to serve the Lord more? Is that we are grateful to God for the opportunity to repent of our sins. It, it, it's an opportunity and a chance to recognize that living God's way is better. There is greater freedom. In knowing the truth, you are set free. In knowing the Lord, you are made strong. In having his will, in having his word, you get to have blessing in abundance. But in this chapter, we're also going to see that someone like Jesus, who obviously is living according to the will of God, who obviously is not acting in disobedience, nevertheless, because he is following the will of the Father, also faces problems of his own. And you and I have problems in our lives that we are not the fault of. There are things that we encounter that are the fault of other people's sin, or sometimes God asks us to face something difficult, maybe even asks us to take a stand for him in a way in which it causes us to be persecuted or to be mocked or to be disfavored or to lose a friend or to lose a, a position. God calls us to give away what we have, which comes at a cost to us. Jesus Christ calls us to come to our own cross, to pick up our cross in order to follow him. There are certain problems in our life that are part of God's purpose. That's not to say that God desires to bring us pain, but that God allows us to experience trials and testing because there is a refining work. There is something better in the blessing that he will bring about. As we look at our problems from the perspective of God's purpose, we will find his promise is what gives us the strength to sustain, to persevere in going forward in the direction, the race, if you will, as Paul describes it, as the author of Hebrews describes it, to run the race of God's purpose for us and to run it in such a way that we win the prize. That is to say, to really run according to the lanes that God has given us. And that means there's a personal purpose. In this season of time, in this year ahead, I am prophesying to you by the Spirit, I declare, and you can submit this to the Lord. I pray that you will do so prayerfully. In fact, in this season of fasting in January, fast for your own understanding, according to the Scriptures, according to the preaching of the Word that you receive, according to the wisdom of the elders of the people of faith around you and your friends and family of faith that would help sharpen you like iron upon iron, seek the Lord for his personal purpose for you in this season. Because friends, this is not just a time to just try and survive. And you know, some people are just trying to hang on for 2021. Like when the clock turns and the calendar page flips, 
somehow we can just say, well, it's a fresh start. But none of us can possibly imagine that the problems that are presently surrounding us on December 27th, as I preach this message, are going to evaporate by January 1st. Maybe there are some hurdles that we are going to clear by that time. But, sorry to say, there are some more hurdles that will appear on the horizon. I mentioned in the first service that you and I may present or may approach our life like it's a, a game of whack-a-mole. I've just got to solve this problem and solve this problem and solve this problem and solve this problem. You live long enough and you begin to feel like as many problems as I can possibly solve, I can never hit them all. They're always popping up again. And if we come to God and say, I want you to be my cosmic whack-a-mole captain and just beat down all the problems that pop up in my life, we misunderstand God's purpose. Because some of those things that are popping up, God is raising up. And others of them, God is allowing to come up because, as Pastor Ron mentioned earlier, as the Apostle Paul preaches in the, the, the letter of Romans, chapter 8, a letter that you and I, by God's grace, are going to work our way through in a preaching series later this year. He speaks and says that God will work all things together for good. For those who love him and are called according to his purpose. The Lord wants to show you who you are in him. You were made by him for a purpose and he intended that you would be alive right now in this situation. Facing what you're facing, dealing with what you're dealing with, he knew, and he has a purpose for you in it. For such a time as this, PCF, dear ones, anyone willing to hear, anyone ready to listen, for such a time as this, God is reaching out to you to say, I have a personal purpose to fulfill in you in this season. Will you hear it? Will you see it? Will you receive it? Will you pursue it? And to as many as say yes to that, God will give you the grace to persevere and God will give you the victory as you cross the finish line of his ultimate purpose for you in due season. It is for this very purpose that God has prepared us. Jesus in John chapter 12, you can turn there, has arrived at the very week when he is going to go to the cross. This chapter begins just prior to what we know of as the triumphal entry. Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a donkey on what we commemorate as Palm Sunday. The crowds celebrating the arrival of this man that many recognize as a Messiah, many more would acknowledge as a prophet, and many more are just interested in as a celebrity. Jesus has just recently resurrected from the dead his friend Lazarus, and the story of it has gone all over the land, so that there are people who are coming just to meet this man, see this man who raised another. The chapter begins, in fact, with a dinner commemorating or honoring, if you will, Jesus for this uh, extraordinary miracle. And uh, the sisters of Lazarus are there with Lazarus, and one of them, Mary, brings to Jesus a, a jar of perfume and anoints his feet. Later, Jesus is anointed in the praises of the people, but the leaders are rejecting him. The leaders are despising him and working against him. 
And even within his own camp, even within his closest apostles, there is a betrayer deceiving him, though Jesus is not deceived, because God's purpose is to open the eyes of his people. Jesus knows what is going on around him. He didn't need anyone to tell him about the hearts of people. He was aware of who would betray him, Judas Iscariot. But we see Judas trying to achieve his own purposes in the chapter. All of this leading up to verse 27 that uh, I am about to focus on. That's basically around the center of the chapter or towards the latter portion. In the midst of all these issues and all of this activity, Jesus is not distracted. Jesus is focused. And what is he focused on? The cross. And yet, Jesus himself says, as he draws near to it, it's only days away, now is my soul troubled. Consider that for a moment. The creator of everything, the maker of man, made a man himself, and as a man, he's coming to the cross. Is it the physical pain, the social shame, the emotional distress that Jesus is about to undergo and to witness among his friends and family that is troubling his soul? No doubt it is. How could it not be? Any human being would be troubled by that. And yet, there's never been another human being quite like Jesus Christ, amen, even though there are to be many more because he's the firstborn of many brethren. That is to say, Jesus is living in such a way so that you and I can become like him. In that moment, Jesus, a righteous man and yet fully God, without sin and yet being called to suffer under the weight of sin, I believe that Jesus has all the courage and all the faith that would ever be necessary to face the horror of the physical pain, the duress and the unfair uh, shame of his public trial and spectacle, even the emotional distress of what he's going to go through. But I believe that it is the spiritual awareness on Jesus' part that he is going to bear the brunt of God's wrath against sin. Something that really, I think, goes beyond our ability to conceive. That's what's distressing and troubling his soul. That there is going to be this moment in which God himself is dying on the cross. The everlasting one going into the grave because of the sin of people. Jesus understands your troubles. Jesus understands your problems. If you're suffering from mourning the loss of a loved one, Jesus has mourned the loss of a loved one. He probably had to bury his own father. He certainly stood there at the grave of his friend Lazarus and wept. And even though he resurrected Lazarus, that Lazarus presumably died again. But Jesus is alive forevermore. But Jesus knows what it is to see a loved one die. Jesus knows what it is to suffer hardship, to bear physical pain. Jesus knows what it is to be tired. Jesus knows what it is to be discouraged. Jesus knows what it is to be betrayed by a friend, to be mistreated, to be lied about, to be lied to. 
But you and I cannot conceive of all the trouble that Jesus faced for us, voluntarily, by will, by choice, because it was on purpose. It was for the purpose of God. And so Jesus, coming to this catastrophic moment, says, my soul is troubled. By the way, can I just interject this here? Because I find it encouraging, and I hope you will too. If Jesus' soul was troubled, that means it's not a sin to feel troubled in your soul. It may not be fun. It certainly isn't. It isn't easy. But it's not a sin. What exactly does trouble in the soul mean? Well, that probably is open to interpretation. But I want to say to you right now that if you are struggling and you even feel like part of your struggle is with God, Jesus can relate to that too. Not that Jesus was ever at odds with the Father, but there was the recognition in Jesus' own heart. As you know, as I often quote from the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus says, if there's a way, let this cup that you have for me pass, but not my will, but yours be done. I say that quickly, but it's not a quick prayer. It's really the culmination of Jesus' whole life dedicated to living for the purpose of the Lord. And that means that there are times when you and I really will experience trouble in our soul as a part of God's process for us. But Jesus says, what should I do? Pray, Father, save me from this hour. Take me out of this situation. Protect me from that, which is the very reason why I came. For this very purpose, I have come to this hour. Will you repeat that out loud with me? For this very purpose. Say it again. For this very purpose. Jesus is saying, this is why I'm here. He seems to recognize that there's tremendous power in what he prays for. And that's not because he's God. It's because he has faith in God. He is God, but he emptied himself of his divine privileges. So he's dependent upon the Father and the anointing of the Spirit for his prayers to be answered. But what Jesus believes is, God cares about my prayers, and there's power in the prayer of faith. But what should I do? Pray in a way that contradicts the will of the Father? The whole point of the power is to fulfill the purpose of the Lord. So what I will pray, says Jesus, is glorify your name, Father. And what glorify your name means is not, it's not about God bedazzling his reputation, putting his name in lights like a big Broadway show. I'm God, you better celebrate me. No, it is about God's purpose being fulfilled. It is about God's will being accomplished. That is how the name of God is glorified. His name, I am, the covenant promise, being carried out, glorifies him. And out of the sky, a miracle occurs. A voice from the heaven says, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. It is, again, an affirmation of the name itself, the I am, who is always doing what he will do, always fulfilling his purpose on purpose. It is an affirmation of Hebrews 13:8 because that I am is Jesus Christ, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And Jesus proves it in that moment. Because the Lord has done what he promised to do. He is doing what he promised to do. And he will complete what he has promised to fulfill. 
Now, what is it that glorifies God's name? It is the seed, the life, the light, the fruit, the harvest. Jesus himself tells us what glorifies the name of the Father as he advances towards the cross on the very last night that he has on earth before his death, on the eve of his sacrifice, at that final supper. You can read in John 15 when Jesus says to his closest apostles and by extension to any and all who would be an apostle of his today, a disciple of his today, a follower of his today. Apostle means, by the way, an emissary that is sent, someone who is serving the purpose of the Lord. Paul liked to refer to it in terms of slave. Paul, a slave of Jesus Christ, is how he begins Romans. We'll look more at that in months to come. It's a powerful statement. And Jesus is saying to anyone that will align themselves to my purpose and abide in me, I will abide in them. I will be with you and you will bear much fruit. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. So you will be my disciples. You will be my witnesses. Jesus is praying for you and for me. Jesus is saying, I don't desire to bear the burden of sin, but I purpose to do it because it is the purpose of heaven. It is the purpose of the Father. And I do it for the glory, the joy that is set before me. And the joy is you being one with him, you and I being made fruitful. It is our resurrection. It is our salvation. It is our fulfillment in God's promise that God desires most of all. God has purposed to save you and he spent everything to do it. Now, if he has done that, how will he not then give you everything that he has? He's already spent it all on you. And since there is no limit on the treasure that God has, there is no limit on the love that God has shown to you and I. And yet, we become distracted and discouraged because no matter how many times we hear that truth about the love of the Lord, what we are faced with day to day are the problems of the world. And God knows that. Didn't Jesus say, in this world you will have troubles, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So there are problems that we need to recognize and reckon with from the perspective of God's purpose. But when we come to the question of purpose, there's a matter of decision, and it creates a certain problem of its own, which is, am I going to trust God even though I can't understand what he's up to all, all the time? Am I going to follow God even though I can't always see where he's going? Am I going to go where God leads me if I see that it leads me to a cross? If I am being called by God along a purpose that involves me suffering, am I willing to face that hour? If I'm being called by God to give up something that I want to hold on to, and what more do we want to hold on to than our own life? And what more does God call us to give up but our own life? What will I do about it? Problems force us to address that question. And in fact, that's part of the purpose of problems. I want to summarize with you some of the early aspects of the chapter of John 12. But I don't have time to go through all of the material of it. So I'm asking you to do something this week. 
In fact, do it before the new year arrives. You can. It won't take you long. Read John chapter 12 this week. Read it from the perspective of today's message. You can download our uh, bulletin from today from our website, mypcf.org. And you can also go online to the events page and find uh, my sermon notes as well. They will be posted later today. But the bulletin is already up there. And you have a bit of an outline here. You could have it with you as you read through John 12 this week. And consider the detail, verse by verse, that we're going to be talking about in a more summarizing fashion uh, in the concluding minutes of this message. And let the Lord speak to you about the personal application in your own life. Because what we find in John 12, as I've already described a little bit, is that there's a kind of encyclopedia of reference to all the issues that, or at least many of the major issues that you and I are troubled by, the problems that we face. And of course, as I've mentioned already in this message, no problem is greater than death, and every problem is, in some sense, a reflection of the problem of death that arrives because of the problem of sin. The chapter begins, as I mentioned, with Jesus at this dinner given in his behalf. And there, Mary, the sister of Lazarus, one of Jesus' disciples and followers and friends, brings in this very expensive ointment and anoints his feet and wipes it clean with her hair. The house is filled with the fine fragrance of this perfumed ointment. Do you remember that a week ago today we talked about marking the message of myrrh? That very term myrrh is used here to describe the ointment that she is anointing Jesus' feet with. As I mentioned in last week's message, it is an anointing oil or uh, substance, perfumed, fragrant, that was used in embalming bodies. So when Judas says, hey, this was very, very expensive. This could have been sold for 300 denarii. That's basically 300 days wages. Almost a year's wages could have been bought with this perfume, and that money could have been given to the poor. Now, Judas is lying. His concern is not for the poor, but for himself. His purpose is to look good in the eyes of people while he enriches himself, because he had control of the money bags, and he would dip into the bags to line his own pockets and to enrich his own purse. That was his real purpose. Jesus says, nevertheless, don't, don't trouble Mary about this. Leave her alone. It was intended that she would keep this perfume for the day of my burial. He makes the remark that she is doing this to prepare my body for burial. This is so rich. That's why I say I hope you will follow me in reading this passage and meditating on it this week because there's so much here. But I want to just pull out to you some threads that we might not recognize if we weren't reading this right after Christmas and after having just studied together the message of the Magi and their mission gifts to the Lord Jesus. Here at the very end of Jesus' earthly life, there is a call back to the very beginning of it. Here, there is a woman named Mary who is caring for him even as he was cared for by his mother Mary at the very beginning of his life. Here is someone bowing down to worship him even as the Magi bowed down to worship him in, in regard and, and gratitude for who he is and what he promises. And she brings a gift, a costly gift. The text mentions specifically that it is very costly. It's worth a lot of gold, like the gold that was given to baby Jesus. The message of the text mentions very specifically that there's a fine fragrance that is like the fragrance, the perfume of worship, like the frankincense that was given to Jesus. And 
it is specifically stated that this is myrrh that is being anointed on his body in preparation for his burial. My point is for you and I to recognize Jesus' entire life is aligned to the purpose of God and it's prophetically declared throughout his life. And that's not just Jesus. That's God's purpose for you and I. There are things throughout your life that God has been doing that you will never notice unless you allow the Holy Spirit to open your eyes to them on purpose. But when you do, you will start to see that things happen for a reason, that there's, there's guidance for you in that, and there is godly hope in recognizing the work of the Lord in your midst. In any case, this chapter begins by affirming that Jesus is going to his death, not by accident, but on purpose. It also shows that there's deception, there is, there is betrayal, there is greed, there is destitution. Jesus says to Judas as well, you know, uh, you will always have the poor with you, but you don't always have me. He is referring to his earthly life here in their midst. When Jesus says you'll have the poor with you always, we could misconstrue this as a, a, a leave to, to, uh, to not care about the poor. To say, well, you know, Jesus himself said there will always be poor people, so I don't need to bother with trying to help somebody that's poor, or I don't need to be concerned about public policies or issues of government that might try and affect positive change uh, in issues of poverty, because after all, you'll always have the poor with you. That would be to completely misconstrue the purpose, not only of Jesus' comment, but of the Lord. Because, in fact, Jesus has made it his purpose in his preaching to a very prominent extent to declare consistently that we are to care about the poor and to care for the poor. He himself cares for and ministers to the poor. He feeds them. He heals them. He spends time with them. And he also comforts them with encouragement that the Lord will provide and care for them. But he says to those that would follow him, give what you have to the poor. Give it away. He teaches on the Sermon on the Mount, when anyone begs and asks for you, give it to them. So the interest of God, not only in the, the earthly ministry of Jesus, but throughout the scriptures, is a testimony that you and I are to care for the poor. But there's also this recognition that there are problems in our world that are never going to go away. That doesn't mean that we don't follow the guidance and the, and the purpose of God to be a blessing, to give what we can, to serve as we can, to seek the best for others, in, in seeking God's will and in showing love to others, we show love to God. But it also recognizes that there are things that are always going to be at issue until the purposes of God for this world are fully fulfilled. After all, death continues. Doesn't mean that we don't go to the doctor. Doesn't mean that we don't take care of ourselves. We don't stop breathing just because we figure, well, death is going to come. We keep on breathing. We keep on fighting. We keep on praying. We keep on seeking the best for others. But there are reality that we have to recognize. There are problems. And death and deceit and destitution are among them. People trying to fulfill their own selfish aims. The chief priests not only plot to kill Jesus, but to kill Lazarus as well because the people are so impressed by the resurrection event. In fact, 
Jesus is a celebrity in their eyes, and so is Lazarus. And that's part of the problem for the crowds. They say that they are adoring and worshiping Jesus, but less than a week later, many of them will be calling for his death. They're simply chasing after the latest bright object, the latest headline. They're just looking at whatever is gaining attention in the present moment. And there are so many ulterior motives in their midst that it becomes an opportunity for division and discord. People trying to stir up one group against another, leaders trying to leverage that reality in order to benefit their own agenda. And that's a big part of the problems that we face in our world today as well. Finally, immediately before Jesus' statement that we're focused on in this message about the hour that has arrived, there is an opportunity that Jesus has to speak to people outside of Israel. His ministry has been primarily to the Jewish people throughout his life, although there are these isolated events that we are told about where he does minister to and teach and even save in terms of presenting himself as Messiah Savior to Gentiles, Samaritans, and, and other Gentiles. But there's a group of Greeks who have probably heard about the resurrection of Lazarus and are extraordinarily impressed by it. And they come to uh, one of Jesus' disciples who enlists another, Philip, and then Andrew. And they together come to Jesus and say, these guys want to meet with you. Will you speak with them? And Jesus' response is a kind of odd non-response. He says, basically, a story, a, a, a mini parable, if you will, a, a, a symbolic analogy that... Uh, relating to the dying grain, that the seed must die and be sown into the ground in order to bring forth new life. And that if anyone is going to follow him, they have to be willing to let go of their life. It seems to be that what Jesus is saying is, now is not the time for me to be reaching out to new groups and new people. Now is the time for me to be lifted up for all people. And as I am lifted up for all people, then all will be drawn into me. But anyone that is coming into me needs to know that what I'm calling them to is to a death and then a resurrection. It's a very challenging message. Even Jesus himself sees the challenge of it. Now my soul is troubled, he says. Following the section that we've uh, focused on in this message, Jesus continues with a very bold and challenging message about the purposes of God that re relates to coming judgment and his own coming sacrifice. I want to pause here. Hear this, friends. My brothers and sisters, hear this. Anyone joining in this message today or where it's reaching you, hear this. No matter what the hardship of the present moment is, there are things that lay out ahead for you and I, for all humanity, that are harder still. And who knows how much of that you and I will have to face. But Jesus himself is saying, the pivotal moment of decision for each of us is right now, am I willing to give my life up right now to God? If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you made that commitment, you made that decision. You went into the waters of baptism like Jesus into the grave and you rose again in him. But it's an ongoing act of purposeful living to say each day, today, I am going to live for the purposes of God. 
I am going to live as a servant to the master. You know, it's not enough to say that's not easy. Personally, I find it all but impossible. And you know, it's interesting that as soon as the day begins, I certainly can experience this. I imagine many, if not all of you can relate to it. All of the problems crowd around you as soon as, as waking comes. It doesn't take long when you wake in the morning to remember whatever is of concern to you. The bills that need to be paid or the relationship that's off the rails or the problems of unsatisfied dreams or uncertain future. Maybe there is a physical malady you're dealing with. Maybe there is a loss. Whatever the issues are, something you've done wrong that you cannot get beyond, the guilt of it weighs on you. And every morning when you wake, it weighs down again. And every evening when you go to sleep, it's the problems that crowd around our mind, isn't it? I suppose you can take your phone out and try and scroll your way to a happier place, although often it just scrolls you down deeper and deeper into the place of problems, because in the world you'll have trouble, and that's what the world is fixated and focused on. But Jesus is saying to you and I, will you let that go for a moment? Cast your cares on the Lord. Let go of the, the foolishness and the wickedness of the world. Let go of your life. And entrust yourself into my hands. And let my purpose guide you. There's a prophetic purpose that is the only way that you and I will be able to persevere and to stay faithful in the midst of challenge. Even among the rulers that were rejecting Jesus, there were some that heard him and recognized the prophetic truth. Many in the crowds were blinded and they couldn't, they couldn't understand what he was saying. Many of the rulers were blinded by their own ambition and were unwilling to understand. But some of those religious leaders recognized the reality of what Jesus was saying, of who he was, but they declined the invitation to follow because they preferred their position of privilege. In verses 42 and 43, you'll see it written there. They didn't want to say anything because they were afraid they'd be put out of the synagogues. They were afraid that they would be castigated in the temple. They were afraid that their reputation would be sullied. And some of you and I have to deal with this reality. You're afraid to be all out for Jesus because of what people will think about you. I can relate. I have that fear too. You say, uh, you know, you might find that easy to believe. Some of you might find it hard to believe. Take my word for it. I encounter that also. There are times and situations where I'm among people and I know that they are not followers of Jesus and they are not admirers of that gospel. And I can be intimidated in that environment as well. And how much more so if there were real costs to me beyond just reputation? What if, like Jesus, I was facing trial? What if I was facing death? But don't you see? That's why Jesus is saying, die today. I don't mean to say, take your life. That's the worst rejection of God's purpose. I mean to say, give your life to God. So that in him, you and I have the courage to live according to what God wants, according to his will. Jesus said, this is the way I live, and I'm going to the cross this way, doing whatever the Father asks me to do. But Jesus was able to do that because he relied upon the Holy Spirit. You cannot do it on your own. Jesus himself said, apart from me, you can do nothing. And it is the Spirit 
who makes you alive in Christ and gives the life of Christ to you. You need the Holy Spirit. I need the Holy Spirit. I need the guidance of God's word. We need God's word in these days if we are going to know his purpose and be able to fulfill it because we can't do it on our own. And we don't have to. Not only that, but we shouldn't even try. Lean on him. I want to conclude with some quick questions that have to do with purpose. It's the big question of life, isn't it? Why am I here? What is the meaning of life? Is it living or dying? I've put some verse passages on here that when you read through the scriptures this week of John chapter 12, you can see that these are actually questions that are rooted in the text, but they're also very much recognized in our lives. When I say, am I here for living or dying, what does the world live for? Eat, drink, and be merry, right? The world lives for accomplish what you think is right. The world lives for gain as much as you can get. The world lives for get the, 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 the things that you want, get the power that you desire. But the purpose of the Lord is actually that you and I, by dying to ourself, to our selfish ways, to our fleshliness, will actually find real life. If I'm here to try and hold on to my life, I've already lost. But if I'm willing to let go of my life and die to myself as a living sacrifice to God, then all the goodness of God comes to me. Am I here to try and get everything that I can? Is that the purpose of my focus? Is that the direction of my pathway? Getting, getting, giving? Or is it better to give than to receive? Give away. A year of purpose is a year for giving. Giving into the storehouse of God because you're trusting the provision of God. Giving to the poor because you want to be one who shows the needy, the one who provides. Giving time to people who you don't have to give them your time. Maybe you wouldn't even want to. Being patient with people who annoy you. Being loving towards people who persecute you. Being forgiving to people who wrong you. Asking for forgiveness is a way of giving over your your authority, you know, your, your personal place of pride, you're giving it away and you're saying, I need to ask forgiveness from you. That is the way of the Lord. It is the purpose of God that you and I should live in that direction. And how can we do that? How can we follow that pathway of giving, of dying to ourselves and giving away in the name of God out of the abundance of what he flows through us? We can't get there by leading him. We can't get there by saying, all right, Jesus, you follow me. I'll show you what I want. We get there by following him. And he went to the cross. So we follow him to the cross. We pick up our own cross. We follow him into the grave. And that way we follow him to the throne. We follow him into the place of kingdom purpose. It's a decision. And problems help us to get clear on the decision that God is calling us to. Will you live for yourself or will you live for me? Will you die to this world or will you die to the kingdom? Everyone will die in this world, but not everyone will be able to live in the kingdom. So if you're already going to die in this world, and if you cannot overcome the problems of this world on your own, and if you cannot hold on to the wealth of this world on your own, but Jesus who died for you promises that there is an eternal kingdom that lasts forever, if you will lean on him, 
He will make you strong. He will take you all the way. Then why wouldn't you do it? Why wouldn't you give yourself over to him fully and completely? In a year of purpose, it's the time to say, I give myself to God. I'm going to lean and depend on him. I can't do it on my own. I can't, I can't make sense of all of this on my own. I need God. And in fact, God doesn't have to make sense of it all for me. Just glorify your name, Lord God. And the answer of the Lord is, I have glorified it. I have made fruitful those who have trusted in me, and I will make fruitful all you who trust in me today. And I will make you my witnesses. I will demonstrate my goodness through you. Miracles will happen through you, the miracles of God. And the greatest miracle of all may be that you will have faith even in the moments when faith could easily flee because you will have the presence of God with you. God, who has purposed to save you, will never forsake you if you will trust in him. Lord, we give ourselves over to you today. It may be, Lord, that we've done that many times, but we recognize today and in this new season, and especially in a time with so many problems, we put our trust in you. We make a decision, Lord. We don't want to live for our own will, but we want your will to be done and your kingdom to come. We want your name to be hallowed. We want your glory to be fulfilled. Thank you, Lord, that you have said that means you will make us fruitful in faith. You will make us strong to persevere. You will show us your promises and you will enable us to be your people. If this is the first time that you're praying a prayer that gives your life to the Lord, I want you to recognize this reality. If you will lift your hand up to the Lord today, you will find his hand already reached out for you. Will you just do that? Lord Jesus Christ, I give you my life. I confess that I'm a sinner in need of a savior. I ask you, Lord, to save me. I ask you, Lord, to change me from the inside out. Make me a person according to your purposes. Give me a hunger for your word. Give me connection with your body. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and keep me on your perfect path. In your mighty name, amen. Amen. If you've prayed that prayer for the first time, let us know. We want to help provide resource to you, get you connected with the body of Christ, and help you to move forward in the purpose of God for you. Friends, as was mentioned earlier, we don't have a midweek service this week. We want you to enjoy and celebrate the new year, but pray as you do so. And beginning January 1, which is this coming Friday, start in on the fasting and prayer. We are going to have updates on the, the website on how you can follow along with uh, the Foursquare Church and with Praise Christian Fellowship in the particular prayer focus. You can choose your fast, do it wisely, don't do anything uh, that would be against your physician's recommendations. The Lord is not uh, asking for you to do harm to your physical body, but there is probably some, in fact, there is certainly some form of fasting that any one of us can adopt. And if you'd like more information on how to do that, you can be watching on our website, you can be watching on our on our social media feeds as we'll be posting information about that or contact the church. We look forward to seeing you in our in-person patio services on Saturday at 9 a.m. 
next Sunday at 8.30 a.m. And of course, next Sunday, January 3rd, online, 10 a.m. Until that time, may the purposes of the Lord provide you with assurance of his promises and the perspective that enables you to persevere despite any problems, living for the Lord and living with his joy now and always. Amen. God bless you, church.